This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Stu does America. Don't miss the State of the Race podcast series as we head into the 2024 election. We're kind of in a boring part of the election, frankly. Uh, not much going on right now. Uh, we do have Super Tuesday coming up, but really it's, it's a bore fest of a primary, to be honest with you. So, uh, but still, uh, it's not a great sell for you to subscribe. But I will say, go to the Studios America audio feed. Of course, you get this show, but also you get access to these episodes. They'll just pop up whenever. And we're going to be updating more and more frequently as we get to the general election and things become a lot more interesting. If you haven't checked out our Sportscasters skit yet on YouTube, Israel versus Hamas, you're going to like it. YouTube.com slash America for as long as YouTube will allow it to be up there. Um, I think you're going to like it. Make sure you like it and share it, please. Uh, we're doing these things. They, they're pretty expensive to put together. Uh, so any help you can get to spread the word would be greatly appreciated uh, so we can keep doing them. Uh, Aaron McIntyre is going to be here to explain why Google now owns all of our children. Joe Biden hits late night to prove he's not a doddering old man and comes off as an extremely doddering old man. I'll show you the video. But we start by doing media dum-dums. Yeah, you know. I could give you some high, highfalutin, high-minded sort of uh, title for this program, but media dum-dums I think fits really, really well. But it's, it's of course, important and scary that this is happening right in front of our eyes. Let's, let's start with this uh, story about uh, Aaron Bushnell. He's the guy who lit himself on fire to protest the Israel-Hamas conflict. I don't know if he did that before or after he watched the Sportscasters bit on YouTube.com slash America. Probably after. I was very frustrated about that. But leftists are now praising a martyr, Aaron Bushnell, for setting himself on fire outside Israeli embassy and dismiss his mental health concerns. He had moral clarity. Did he? Does anyone who lights themselves on fire have moral clarity? I'm going to go with no on that. Uh, first of all, incredibly painful, I would imagine. And uh, I don't want to do it. Not going to do it. For Literally any cause. I don't care what happens. Anything can happen in the world. Any think of any circumstance, lighting myself on fire is never going to happen. That's not something that I'm uh, interested in participating in myself. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's the new way of the world. But I will say, I don't know, incentivizing, encouraging, cheering on people who are killing themselves seems like a bad idea to me. But of course, there are leftist sort of nut jobs that are there to cheer it on. Uh, a couple of them running for president. Cornell West says, let us never forget the extraordinary courage and commitment of brother Aaron Bushnell, who died for truth and justice, exclamation point. I pray for his precious loved ones, exclamation point. Let us rededicate ourselves to genuine solidarity with Palestinians undergoing genocidal attacks in real time, exclamation point. A hashtag Aaron Bushnell and a hashtag Free Palestine. I like that he threw in, a, I pray for his precious loved ones. Look, I don't know his loved ones. Maybe his loved ones were cheering him on as he lit himself on fire. But my guess is they were not as excited about his choice here as uh, many on the left were, including Dr. 
Bergelstein, who said, rest in power, Aaron Bushnell. I will no longer be complicit in genocide. Free Palestine. May his sacrifice deepen our commitment to stop genocide now. Now, look. There is not a genocide going on on the Palestinians. That's not actually occurring. We've given you all the details on that. This is nonsense. Okay, it's nonsense. Um, I don't need to prove that to you anymore. Again, I'd refer you to the sportscasters bit on youtube.com slash America. But what I will say is we've always had people like that. We've always had people like Dr. Jill Stein and Cornell West. I mean, Cornell West has been around doing it for decades, right? Like this is commonplace. Crazy people on the left saying crazy things on the fringes. I mean, who, what is Jill Stein going to get? 1%? What is Cornell West going to get? 1%? If they combine for 3%, it's probably a good election for them. And yet, here we are in a really weird position because it's no longer just people like that who are crazy. The media is in a process of turning into a bunch of Cornell West and Dr. Jill Steins on a myriad of issues. And this is a major problem for our country because while the media pisses me off and while I'm annoyed with them all the time, the media is important. Like it's it, to the point of like it's in the First Amendment that they're protected. The press needs to be protected. We need to have a, a you know, a, a vital uh, part of our society is open discussion of important issues and coverage that makes people in power uncomfortable. And so the the media is not something that I want to go away. I want it to be better. I want it to be good at what it does instead of sucking all the time. And instead, what's happening is younger people are coming up through our education system, being educated by people like Cornell West, and then are churned out into the media and are completely nuts. In fact, they can't even handle the basics of life. They can't even handle basic decision making, basic Math, basic science, basic reading, basic anything. They, they have no ability to deal with the real world. And the easiest way to, uh, to, to show this to you, of course, is to talk about media weirdo Taylor Lorenz. Now, Taylor Lorenz has been in the media for a while. She's been on, on social media a lot. She seems to live completely online. And, you know, is one of these people that's constantly always a victim. Somebody's always victimizing poor Taylor Lorenz. Someone's always making her feel scared. Someone's always making her feel like she needs to go into a hole and hide. You know, it's someone who's just basically completely incapable of actually dealing with life. Okay, this is what she's been shown to be for a very, very long time. And then she had decided to have an interview with the libs of TikTok uh, uh, purveyor. Um, Libs of TikTok flips the script on WAPO's Taylor Lorenz in revealing interview. And I want to give you a couple of clips from this particular exchange because it's really legitimately fascinating. And if you think our media is in good shape, Wow, I mean, watch these clips and then tell me that again, because it's just impossible to believe. Now, you know, Libs of TikTok, it's, a, it's an account that does something really basic most of the time. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I try to stay off social media as much as I can, but everything I've ever seen from Libs of TikTok is just highlighting someone on TikTok usually who is on the left and a bit nuts 
and usually saying like, hey, I'm a teacher. And let me tell you how I'm going to show my kids today how I'm a non-binary or something you know, wacky like that. These five-year-olds really need to know about my sexual habits. And no, they don't, okay? Highlighting something that's already been posted publicly for public consumption and saying, hey, this is crazy. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm sorry, you can say, you know, you don't like it, but there's just nothing wrong with that. Uh, in fact, it's something that is probably vi vi uh, vital information if you happen to have a kid at one of these schools. So in some ways, it's a public service. Um, but, you know, of course, that's not how Taylor Lorenz feels. Taylor Lorenz feels like the libs of TikTok account is um, creating hate for everybody, uh, L the LGBTQQIA2+, community. So here is a, 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 an exchange, and this, and this goes back to one of the real problems that people like Taylor Lorenz have with lips of TikTok, and that they're trying to get books banned. Book burning is what their accusation is. Now, I have never seen any of these people try to get books banned. I have seen them try to pull them out of school libraries when they're actual porn. We've talked about the book Gender Queer many, many times. It's very common knowledge among people who have thought about this issue at all. It's one of many examples, and but maybe the, the most overtly egregious uh, of these books that are supposedly, you know, helping kids with their inner thoughts if they're thinking about transitioning or becoming, a, you know, uh, having some different sexual orientation. But the fact that it's pumped into high school or or kids uh, elementary school is a real problem and most parents don't want this happening so just that's the outline of the debate here is a moment of of their interview and i will just draw your attention to the fact that the libs of tiktok creator decided to wear a shirt with taylor lorenz's face crying on it from a previous interview i just I, it's such a good troll make sure you don't miss it watch here this is the dub. What, I don't know what book this is from. Gender queer. Okay. So should this picture of a doll be in elementary schools? I've never seen a book like that in elementary schools, but I have no oh, idea. It, it has been. Okay. I posted about it, yeah. So tell me a little bit so about So should it be in elementary schools? I have no idea the context. I have no so idea. So in what context. context should it, is it okay if it would be in I have absolutely no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I would not, I, I don't know, Kaya, because I haven't seen the rest of that book. I don't know what's in there. What's interesting about that part of the interview is her somewhat honest reaction to the shocking image she's putting in front of her. And it, this is the type of thing, by the way, that if an adult at the Washington Post showed her that picture, she would be in the HR office in 10 seconds complaining about how she can't believe she was assaulted by this man. And this man would be me too'd into oblivion in minutes OK, if that actually happened at work, here's a situation where he's showing a picture. She's showing a picture to Taylor Lorenz and she has an honest reaction for a second. She's like, whoa, like, what am I looking at? And what if you've never seen the photos, there's a reason why I blurred them. Uh, that should tell you something about them. That should tell you something about whether they belong in school for children. But, uh, you know, we blur them here because I don't want to see them. And I don't want you to see him. Uh, you, you know, you can go out and find him if you really want to. But, it's, you know, it's, it's cartoon drawings of children, uh, you know, giving oral sex to each other, using sex toys. I mean, it's really, really explicit stuff, not borderline. OK, this is not something you can justify by saying, well, you know, there's sometimes you're going to see some imagery that you're not comfortable with in, in sex education. No, this is like porn. Right. 
And so she's shocked by it. You could tell it. You could see it in her eyes. You can't see it in her face because she's got an N95 mask on outdoors. So you can't actually see that in her face, which is just a mind blowing point. If I may sidebar for just a minute on this. No doctors say that you need an N95 mask outdoors. This is not a thing. This is not something that experts believe uh, there have. I mean, the New York Times said it, you know, years ago now, there have been zero documented cases of COVID-19 passing outdoors with the exception of close conversation. Now, they are, what, four feet away from five feet away from each other, probably borderline, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how many feet, but they're not in close, you know, face to face conversation. Uh, she's wearing a mask. There's zero risk of COVID-19 uh, here. Even if she were, I, I believe she says she has some medical issues, but even if she were, she's a young uh, adult. The chances of her uh, having an issue with COVID, even if she caught it, are extremely low. And then, of course, you add on to the fact that this is a woman trying to protect herself from the infinitesimal risk that comes from COVID-19 uh, getting it outdoors from a person who doesn't even have it for, you know, not even sick or showing any symptoms or anything. She's trying to protect herself from that risk, but at the same time is sitting in a chair with her back to passing traffic going by at four, about four feet behind her. Um, there are moments where a sports utility vehicle passes directly behind her as she's eating and not even looking at it. She has so much trust in the drivers behind her, but no trust for this woman who's, who might pass a disease to her that she can't even pass outdoors. These people are nuts, but it's important to understand that experts don't even believe this. We, of course, have been critical of some of the recommendations come coming from the medical establishment, as I think is appropriate uh, as we went through COVID. However, we're in line with the experts on this. Like, if you have a, you know, like say a, a concert where people are singing in really close contact, maybe they might say there's a risk of, of, of it passing. But in con a context like this, there is zilch, zero risk of this being passed in this context. It's just not going to happen. So she's nuts for that reason as well. But think about what just you just watched there. Here's a person reacting to an image like, whoa, I, I've never seen an image like that in a, in, a school, in a school book for elementary kids. What do you mean you've never seen it? You're in the middle of covering this story right now. You're online all the time. This is, I would say, the central image involved in the debate that you're covering. What do you mean you haven't seen it? Now, I've seen it probably a freaking hundred times just scrolling through my feed. And every single time I see it, I regret it, which is why you're welcome. I didn't show it to you here. I don't want to see it. And I've seen it a hundred times. She's covering a story for the Washington Post and she has no awareness of this book. How is that possible? It is complete journalist, journalistic malpractice that she would not be intimately familiar with this image before this interview be, uh, starts. And remember, she's doing an interview and a story to criticize this woman whose objection is to images like this. How could you not be familiar with them? It would be the basic part of your job to be familiar with this image before you walk into that interview. In fact, multiple years ago, you should have seen this. It's incredible.
It's incredible that she hasn't seen this already. Okay, so the the conversation goes back and forth. And another interesting part of the media failure and catastrophe is revealed. Let's watch it. Here's Taylor Lorenz on uh, this book right after the clip you just saw. But there is a context that it would be okay to give kids pictures like that of gay sex, anal sex in, in I guess elementary sex, school. I guess sex pictures is why I don't know. I don't know because uh, you know who you I would know. defer to on that? Just because neither of us are sex educators, I would defer that question to a qualified professional, a sex educator, and say, hey, you're an expert. You've treated tons, you know, you've educated tons of people. You're a full-time sex educator. You've really studied this. What are the appropriate boundaries? I don't think that myself as a journalist or a media personality, I don't think I'm the right one to make that decision. And I guess I'm wondering why so you there, So there, the, I have seen point. sex educators say that they, they want these, these books in, in schools. So then uh-huh. you're okay with it? I think I would want to talk to the sex educator and why? rely on whatever the sex educators say. Okay. I'm wondering why you feel like you're qualified to be a sex educator when you have no background in that. Uh, I don't want to be a sex educator. I just don't want to give kids porn in school. <laughs> it's such a great moment. But I love her approach there where she says, you know, well, she doesn't try to fight the ground and say that, oh, well, actually, some experts uh, don't want that, don't want it in schools. She says, I, I actually do see ex- sex educators who say they want that in schools. So does that make it OK for you? I'd like to talk to the sex educators because I want to know what they say and what they say stands. Well, if that what they say stands, why do you need to talk to them? I mean, in fact, why do you need to talk to anybody? In fact, why do you need to do anything any day? What, like, let me put this more succinctly to Taylor Lorenz. What is the point of you? Of what value are you? If you can't make a judgment on whether children should be able to access pornography in elementary school, what point is there of you? She has offloaded all decision-making process in her life to the experts. Now, I am not against expertise. I think it's incredibly important. And at times, we can even be too dismissive of experts, right? It's easy to say, well, common sense will solve this problem. And a lot of it does solve. But, like, experts are valuable. I'm not saying they're not. But in every situation that you deal with an expert, you have input in the decision-making process. Just because some expert says something doesn't mean you blindly follow it. You apply your knowledge. And by the way, who's a better expert than you on your kid? These are individual people we're talking about. Your child. It is fascinating to see these people. I mean, it's like she's the lead character in the Lego movie and has offloaded all decision-making process while the song Everything is Awesome plays. You, if you can't judge that situation, you can't, how do you tie your shoes? It's incredible. The, the uh, ability to offload all of life. All of life is you looking at all the information around you and you making decisions. That's all of life. And she's clearly done that when it comes to the masks because the experts are saying she's not gonna get COVID-19 and yet she's still wearing the mask. Why? Because she's engaged in her life. And in this situation, it's like, oh, no, I don't know. I can't. How could I possibly know? I'm not a biologist, if you will. This, of course, is just it is just just like it was with the Supreme Court justice. This is just a an, an opportunity to hide from what she really wants to say. She really wants to agree with the liberal line here that these are all there, but she can't bring herself to do it because she just saw the freaking picture for the first time.
It's absolutely incredible. I'm now going way too long, but let me give you... I've just, I mean, I've run through all of this stuff already. Okay, we're going to move to uh, Joy Reid real quick. Joy Reid asks why America needs more children. <laughs> That's a great question. Here she is blabbing about this nonsense. Watch. The United States has a population of north of 327 million people. Mm -hmm. Why do we need more kids? What? I mean, your party, Senator Tuberville, is the one screaming that 10 million immigrants, which... I don't even know that that number even makes any sense because it doesn't um, have streamed into the country since Joe Biden has been president. And you're claiming that that's too many people, that if more people come into the southern border, mm. this is some sort of crisis because we, we've got too many people and we've got no more space and we can't afford more people. But now you're saying we need more kids. Can you explain who's the we and what's the purpose? I mean, it's amazing that she thinks but it's not about some number of citizens that we get to. We're not like, hey, we need to get to 380 million people. We need more children. No, what we need are more individuals bringing wonderful things to humanity. Who's the we in this situation? Humanity. Are we, we're now rooting against more children, more, and more specifically, more individuals. You know, it's not a glob of humanity. It's not a number on a population chart. It's about bringing in more people with an opportunity to live their lives. This is good. And by the way, the argument with illegal immigration is not that we're bringing in too many people into our country. It's that they're coming in illegally. Uh, we want the population to grow. We want more people. We don't want to depopulate the country. She goes on, and I don't have time for it, to say, I don't know, you're from Alabama, and people in Alabama wanted more kids before, and last time they wanted them, I think they wanted slaves. Do you want slaves? Uh, these are idiots, and this is my point here. All the Cornell West nonsense, all the Dr. Jill Stein nonsense. That is now our media. People like Joy Reid and Taylor Lorenz are as insane as anyone who has ever been in the public sphere. And these people have credibility. Mainstream national TV shows, high profile writer jobs at the Washington freaking post. These people are, I mean, Taylor Lorenz and Joy Reid might be two of the dumbest people in the entire country in any context. And they lead major institutions telling us what's real and what isn't. It is absolutely incredible. And you see someone like Joy Reid, who doesn't want any more children. I mean, the only joy around Joy Reid, apparently, is in her first name. Well, when you absolutely positively have to buy or sell a home because you're running away from someone like Taylor Lorenz or Joy Reid, you got to go with realestateagentsitrust.com. This is Glenn's company. He started it years ago. Why? He wanted to make things better. He wanted to make things easier for you. You need a real estate agent when you're making a real estate transaction. Where do you go? Who can you trust? You can trust realestateagentsitrust.com. It can be really confusing when you're trying to buy or sell a home because, you know, there's so many different factors, so many things to think about. But you don't need to, to be overrun by those concerns. You need someone who can help you talk, talk you through it and also be on your side in a buying side of that transaction. You need someone on your side of the transaction. Realestateagentsitrust.com, whether you're moving across the street or across the country, it's realestateagentsitrust.com, a free service to you, realestateagentsitrust.com. I'm joined now by Arne McIntyre. He's a Bla uh, Blaze News columnist and host of the Arne McIntyre Show right here on Blaze TV. Arne, how's it going? 
Doing great, Stu. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, and you have a way of terrifying me um, at times. I hope you realize this. Um, sometimes I think something's bad, and then I read something that you write. I'm like, holy crap, it's way worse. And uh, you did this with, with me in this Google Gemini uh, AI story. And I want to I get to where you see this going and, and all the dangers associated with it. But let's start like kind of at the surface level here. Uh, Gemini is released with this, this um, you know, photo-generating service, which we've seen from other providers. And look, it's impressive in a lot of ways. But what we found almost immediately was, the, let's say, the historical rememberings of, of Gemini were a little at odds with what actually happened. Yeah, after a couple of different people started playing with the AI and its photo generation, they started realizing that it was very hard to get it to produce any white people, specifically in historical context. It seems like the AI was coded to increase diversity in all situations, even situations where it made no sense. So if you tried to, say, uh, create an image of a pope or a Viking or a medieval knight, none of them would be white people, even to the point where if you attempted to create a soldier in 1940s Germany, you got a wide and diverse uh, SS rather than many of what people would think of as the average Nazi. And so all of a sudden there was a big outcry because it was very clear that Google had created a AI that was incapable of actually reflecting history accurately. Yeah, and, and what's, of course, important when it comes to this is not just, I mean, look, I'm sure I could not design, certainly, a photo a generation service. It's hard. It's probably really hard to do. You could see there being mistakes made. We all kind of understand that as, as we're learning about this technology. There are mistakes. There are weird things that happen that they don't fully understand. I mean, it's creepy, but we all kind of see that as part of the picture. This, though, is really clearly specifically designed to do certain things like eliminate white people from history. And it's because, I mean, the people behind it seem to be crazy, woke CRT types that are, are, are programming and whatever you put into these systems is what you get out of them. That's right. It wasn't just the images. When people gave the AI different inquiries, like, should you eliminate whiteness? It immediately said, oh, well, that's complicated. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, you know, uh, history studies or white, white studies in, in universities. But if you asked it to, should we eliminate blackness, it correctly said, oh, no, that's terrible. That's that's a terrible question even to ask. And it repeatedly had this kind of ideological bent where any question that you fed into it would just reveal the, the woke ideology that had been deeply coded into the AI. So like you said, it's not just that it was producing extra fingers or some weird un uncanny valley effects that we kind of expect from much of this technology. It was like we were able to peer directly into the heart of those that had programmed the AI. And what we saw was a really ugly progressive agenda. Hmm. And it seems like people kind of did their homework and tried to figure out who was running these systems and the people at Google. And, you know, you go see some of their social media postings, some of the videos they've made. I mean, it seems to, to check out that they are really far down this road. They believe in all of the uh, woke nonsense. And, and I mean, it's no surprise when it comes to Google. But at this point... Uh, you know, you, you, every one of these companies seems to have the same style of person they put behind these projects, and that's a real problem. Yeah, increasingly we're realizing that in every aspect of our life, personnel is going to shape what comes next. There is no such thing as a neutral institution, and therefore there is no such thing as neutral technology. Technology will always be shaped by the people who create it, the worldview, the values, the principles of the people who are coding it, who are creating it, will be reflected in what it does. And so when we look at these different organizations like Google, which control a vast network of different uh, 
critical pieces of infrastructure, but most importantly, the search engine, which basically dictates how a lot of people interact with pretty much all of the information available online, their values are going to routinely be reflected in the way that people get search results. And so while the AI is the most chilling thing because it's all concentrated and upfront, we have to start thinking about what this means for all the other aspects of products and information that Google delivers. Because if this kind of ideology is baked in to their AI, then it's also probably present in every other piece of technology they produce. Yeah, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because the the mistake here, if I have this right, Oren, because they did admit, uh, gosh, we got this wrong. And I wasn't impressed by their apology, but they did come out and say, hey, we got this wrong and, and here's why. But what they got wrong, and they did make a mistake here, but what they got wrong was it was supposed to be subtle, right? Like they, they designed this to do this thing. They just didn't, they didn't plan on it being so overt that everyone would notice when they drew, you know, try to get a picture from, uh, you know, the 1700s of the founders and it's all, you know, it's all uh, black and Native American and Asian people. They wanted this effect. They just didn't want people to notice it. And that's where their mistake is. Am I right? Yeah, that's exactly right. The non-apology that we're so used to came out. But like you said, they weren't really apologizing for anything. None of, it, none of this is a mistake. It was all intended. It was just supposed to be more subtle. It was supposed to slowly boil the frog in the pot, not hit it all at once. The reason that Gemini was dangerous for the left was not that it had the wrong type of ideology or produced unintended results. The problem is that it was too clear. It was like you could summon a little stupid demon <laughs> that was required to tell you what leftists actually believe. And when you actually saw it all up front at once, you realize how horrifying it was. Mm, okay, and so this is the background of the story. And this is where Art McIntyre makes me terrified of the world because I, you went down a road of, hey guys, you know, AI, this AI thing, yeah, kind of funny, kind of bad. But let's not forget what else Google has control of. And I think we all kind of jump to search, right? Like we all think, okay, search, it really does control search. We talked about, about that, how they can influence elections with, you know, news story selection. And that's all really important. But you brought it to education and so many other aspects of our life. Can you kind of walk people through how ingrained in our society Google really is? Sure, I'm only a few years removed from teaching in a public school classroom, so I'm familiar with the procedures in a way that most people probably in our media sphere aren't. And Google is an essential part of basically all public schools. They've worked very hard to make the Chromebook a ubiquitous part of public education. Your child turns all of their assignments in on Google Classroom. They're all assigned there. That's where their stuff is graded. All of their different apps integrate directly in with the Google uh, suite. You, you're using Google Docs, Google, Google Spreadsheets, Google Slides for everything that they turn in. And so that means that your child isn't just using Google to search, though that would already be bad enough because it's only producing the type of information that you would get from the kind of people who program an AI like Gemini. But on top of that, that means that every time they're interacting with education, every time they're looking for answers, every time they're creating something to turn in, it's always interfacing with the Google suite. Google has invested a lot of time and money to make sure that every time a uh, young person attempts to validate truth, they have to do so through Google's architecture. So they control the entire algorithmic universe 
in which students learn. The idea that a student would go to the library and go ahead and check their assignments, uh, you know, look look for independent sources of information, original sources, those kind of things that aren't constantly monitored by a woke <laughs> woke algorithm that is sorting out wrong think that doesn't even occur to them. They just type whatever they want into one of the Google uh, apps. It searches through the Google. Uh, algorithm, and then it produces the results and they regurgitate them for their assignment. There's no understanding of any kind of individual search for truth or any other way to validate the uh, quality of facts that they're putting out there. It's, it's really terrifying when you think about it that way, because it's not just I mean, it's scary because you have kids who are doing um, projects on all of these systems and the their source of information is Google. But it also goes the other way. All of their thoughts, all of the you know, the ways they create then goes back through the Google system, which can be aggregated for God only knows what purpose. And this is not just in public schools. It's in private schools as well. Uh, you know, I mean, look, you know, Google can design some good products and, you know, they're, they're easy to use. They, you know, they, they are able to do things that a lot of other companies don't do very well. So it's very user friendly. People get on there and they use these things. But now we're getting the situation where both ways our kids are basically in the middle of this Google information collection and distribution system. That's exactly right. And, you know, there used to be an option to opt out. Many teachers understood the problems with digital only education. You lose a lot of skills. Kids don't have the ability to read or write physically, research, open a textbook, look for answers. They just expect to type everything in and immediately get something regurgitated back to them. But it's so much worse than that, because on top of this, after the covid pandemic, Everyone was forced to go to remote learning, which means any holdouts, any teachers or administrators who were skeptical of this type of learning were pushed out or forced to go digital regardless because otherwise you couldn't operate the classroom. And when the students came back to physical in-person education, none of that changed. So all of the teachers are required to put everything onto Google at any moment because if the student's out sick or if they just don't feel like attending class, the administrators are still pushing for them to be able to turn everything in through the Chromebook. And so therefore, there's just no escape, even for teachers who realize how deleterious this constantly online education is to the students, because all of it is mandated top down by the school district and the wider learning apparatus. It's, it's really terrifying. I, I don't want to get too philosophical on you here, uh, Orrin, but there was a, a John Mayer song that came out uh, uh, you know, 20 years ago or so. Uh, called waiting on the world to waiting for the world to change I think it was called and it mm. was uh, essentially a, uh, a Iraq war protest song I think at the time and it, and it was basically like hey like we're not really going to be able to do anything about this right now but uh, eventually the world will change and we'll get in control and, and then things will change and I remember thinking at the time like it was such a it was just sounded like people who didn't want to do any work like they didn't want it to be like oh, I'm just going to go to bars we can't really do anything about this but in reality, we're seeing the effects of essentially that, right? Like people who have come up in this system, who have been in the public school system, who have been taught all this nonsense about what our history is, are now rising to the levels where they are running Google AI and they are uh, running the newsroom at the New York Times and getting even old school liberal journalists fired for being too open to conservative thought. We are in the middle of this, you know, revolution. I don't really know how to undo it, honestly. Do you have any idea? <laughs> Am I too pessimistic on this or too optimistic? Unfortunately, I think you're probably right. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Abolition of Man back in the 1940s. And in that book, he predicted 
that once our social engineers figured out how to go ahead and reprogram humanity, how to control every input and output so that they could go ahead and change the way that humans think and interact, they would effectively abolish man. The next generation would lose what it meant to be human. They would not be in contact with the traditions and the things that really make us who we are. I think the only good news, the only bright spot about this is that uh, ultimately human beings can't survive this way. The woke are pushing us to a mode of being that simply cannot continue. We can see this in the failures of the systems around us. We simply aren't able to maintain certain things due to the competency crisis. People are poorly adjusted spiritually, emotionally, uh, educationally, in every way you can imagine. Eventually something has to break and that's a scary way to think about how this might end. But ultimately, I think that we, we can't continue to go on this way. And so eventually, I think we will select for people who did opt out of this stuff, who were able to go ahead and connect their children with a way of being a tradition and understanding of the world that is more grounded and real. But I think we've got a hard time ahead before that happens. And I will say we should let the record show that when you needed a reference, you went to C.S. Lewis and I went to John Mayer. And I don't know what that <laughs> says about our particular shows. It's probably not good for me, though. Uh, Blaze News columnist Aaron McIntyre. Uh, be sure to catch him right here on Blaze TV, the Aaron McIntyre Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Joe Biden is out for ice cream. Look at him run walk with Seth Meyers. Hi. See you guys. You like ice cream too? Do you like ice cream too? Oh, everyone's laughing and having a good time. And Joseph Robin and Biden is making his way to get the ice cream. That's not good. Not a good joke. Now, this is weird because he leans way Mincha, over and looks down. This is not sanitary, by the way. Mincha, He's cert- currently passing it. his COVID-19 directly into the black raspberry Sugar? chip. Yeah. Um, I was worried you were going to be that guy who asked for all the samples. <laughs> all right, this is enough of this. So he looks like he, I mean, he goes on late night. He goes out with Seth Meyers to get ice cream. Like, this is to prove he's virile. It's weird because they embrace, they sometimes embrace the old man thing, like when they put like malarkey on every poster. Um, I don't know what they're doing. The Biden campaign, and one thing that might save this country is that the Biden apparatus is really bad at this. Like they don't seem to know what they're doing on any of this stuff. Like this is a terrible decision. And you, you skip a Super Bowl interview to go on Seth Meyers show that has like eight viewers. Like I don't. I don't know what you're doing here. Um, Ken Buck has unveiled a resolution calling on the cabinet to remove Biden under the 25th Amendment. And this is an interesting thing. I I don't know what I feel about this. I mean, like uh, Ken Buck is he's a conservative guy. Generally, he is he was against the impeachment stuff, though. He has kind of a hard principle line on the impeachment thing. Um, so this is, I don't know, seemingly like a makeup call to say, hey, uh, actually, I, st- I told you I want him out, though. 25th Amendment. But of course, a congressional resolution has nothing to do with the 25th Amendment. This is something that goes through the cabinet. So uh, really, I, I mean, he's just kind of calling for it. I don't know that it goes anywhere. Uh, Representative Perry is saying the House GOP should cancel Biden's State of the Union address. And I see what he's trying to do here. He's trying to create some leverage on the border thing, which I don't view as something that could be successful. The other part of this is I really want Joe Biden to do a State of the Union. The more time Joe Biden is talking, the better, because when people see him, uh, his approval rating goes down. 
and things start falling apart for him. And that's what I want, frankly, because he's a terrible candidate and has been a terrible president. The reason why they avoided the Super Bowl interview is because they know when he speaks, he loses. So let's not discourage him from speaking. Let's encourage him from speaking, incentivize him to speak as often as humanly possible. Show America who this guy is, and that's your best path to getting him out of that house. Um, Young voters are the latest block to start abandoning Democratic Party ahead of the 2024 elections. And this sounds like a good story. Sounds like something you might be in favor of. But I will warn you, and I'm, you know, I do this for, I, I dive into these numbers for a living. It's not something I'm proud of. I I really wish I didn't have to do it. I I wish I was not caught in spreadsheet land as often as I am. Actually, I really like spreadsheets, but that's a whole different story. The point here is that while it seems good that young people are abandoning Joe Biden, be very, very wary of this. Be very, very scared of this. Look at the general election polls. Trump's winning, Trump's winning, Trump's winning. And he is, he is winning right now. But he's winning by two points, one point, three points. Some of these states are very close. Some of them are a little bit even a little more cushion. But a good chunk of the reason why Trump is up right now is that young voters are abandoning him. And you have to ask yourself if that is going to hold. I'm very nervous of this. The reason why they're abandoning in large numbers is closely tied to their feeling about the Israel-Palestine situation. And I got to be honest with you, if you think these people that are 25 years old and are skeptical of Joe Biden for being too tough on Palestine are not going to come back to the Democratic voting bloc once they get in Donald Trump's face. And Donald Trump is, by the way, much more pro-Israel. I just I got news for you. I don't think it's real. And I'm nervous that if you depend on these guys as being Trump voters, it could be a real problem. We'll see. We will see as we go forward. And finally, nearly half of Democrats want to boot Joe Biden off the ticket right now. Forty eight percent say they approve of the party finding another candidate to replace Joe Biden before the election, compared to only 38 percent who disapprove. This is according to Rasmussen reports. Um, Right now, Michelle Obama is the number one choice, receiving 20 percent of the support among a list of uh, options that also include uh, Kamala Harris, Hillary Clinton, Gavin Newsom, Gretchen Whitmer, none of the above and not sure. Actually, none of the above really won 27 percent. So they kind of don't want Biden, but they don't really know what they want. I am scared of losing money to Glenn Beck and Jason Buttrell now on this bet. But for right now, I'm holding steady and uh, just hoping Bitcoin goes a little higher so I don't have to worry about it. Speaking of Bitcoin, it is on quite a run uh, today, topping 57,000 as the rally picks up steam. Uh, You know, it just went up. It keeps going up and up and up and up and up and up. And of course, we've had these ups and downs through Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies over the years. We've seen over and over again uh, the Bitcoin is dead messaging from the uh, mainstream media. And now they're in silent mode again until Bitcoin goes down again. They'll all say it's dead again. Uh, So that is just where we are right now. Um, Bitcoin is dead. Uh, uh, That's coming soon. But right now, they're just going to not talk about it at all. 57,000 for Bitcoin. And that means that Don Lemon can buy a bunch because Don Lemon is getting $24.5 million to settle his uh, uh, lawsuit with uh, CNN. What's interesting about that is it seems like it's basically the entire paycheck. Like he's not losing any money. Usually 
something when you leave and you don't do work for several years, you settle and you take a little bit less so you can go do something else. You don't have to work the whole time. Nope, he's getting every single dime, which shouldn't surprise you if you know the intersectional values of, uh, of one CNN and Don Lemon. Uh, I will say uh, Don Lemon did come out and talk about Bitcoin afterwards and said it was past its prime. So we will see if that holds up. You know, one of the things that we're doing here at Blaze TV is kind of jumping into the world of comedy a little bit. I saw, I got a preview of something uh, that it, the Blazes work on, which is awesome. I mean, it's really, really funny. I mean, it's like, you know, multi-billion dollar streaming company funny. And uh, you're going to really like uh, this uh, coming up soon. Can't tell you anything really about that at this point. But I can tell you we have other great stuff. Dave Landau's show, if you haven't watched that, is great. Uh, as well, of course, as our stuff that's going up on YouTube right now, there's a great one right now up called Sportscasters, the battle between Israel and Hamas. Uh, taken from the mainstream media's perspective, I think you'll like that a lot. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Watch it and share it. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America.